Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to the Simple Flying Podcast, where we will give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Now, let's get on with the show. Coming up in today's show, we take a look at the rescue deals secured by European airlines and ask if these bailouts are fair. And we'll see why, on the 15th anniversary of its first flight, the A380 is nowhere to be seen. We'll take a look at how air travel could look after the corona crisis and tell you about how a Qatar Airways Dreamliner kissed an A350 last week. Finally, we'll investigate why Ryanair was recently spotted in West Africa. So, let's get on with the show. So first up today, let's address the issue of European airline bailouts. Um, I mean, I shouldn't really call them bailouts because they're not just being handed this money, but we'll come on to that. So to sort of summarise where we're at at the moment, um, Air France and KLM Group, well, the Air France part of the Air France KLM Group has um, been confirmed to be getting 7 billion euros in funding um, from the French government, which is about 7.7 billion US dollars. Um, KLM is awaiting a decision, but the reports are that it's likely to be somewhere in the region of 2 to 4 billion euros. Um, Iberia and their low-cost carrier Vueling. Is that the way you pronounce it, Tom? Vueling? I say Vueling, but Vueling? I don't know if yeah, that's I'm right. sure someone Spanish will correct me on that. Yeah. They're getting a, a billion euros. Um, Lufthansa wants about 10 billion euros. So, you know, these are huge amounts of money that are going around. Um, Norwegian as well, they haven't had quite as much. They've already unlocked about 300 million euros, if I remember correctly. And now they've got this agreement to do this debt to equity swap, which allows them to unlock the next tranche of funding. Um, so yeah, it's huge amounts of money being thrown around. And in a market report last week, Ryanair identified some 30 billion euros that was either already agreed in funding or under consideration for funding. Now, normally, these sorts of bailouts and state aid are not allowed under um, European Commission rules. Um, But of course, these aren't normal times, are they? So uh, the EC has made a special provision for this to be an extraordinary circumstance um, and that bailouts are being allowed. So the thing I wanted to really talk about today was whether this is fair. Um, Ryanair made some accusations in their market report last week that it was indeed very unfair. Um, Their stance is that they went into the crisis with the most liquidity of any European airline um, and that their good management has left them in a position where they're able to weather the crisis without support. Um, So what they're saying basically is that these poorly managed, inefficient airlines that were already struggling financially and now getting bailouts. And it's really detrimental to those who did manage their finances well. And, you know, they're saying that it's going to make Ryanair poorly equipped, if you like, to go back into the post-coronavirus airline industry. Um, And they've pointed the finger particularly at the flag-carrying airlines, saying that governments seem to have a preference for bailing out their national airlines. Um, (laughs) O'Leary, as usual, has been using some rather colourful language to describe this. Um, He said in an interview with Sky News that Lufthansa was acting like a crack cocaine junkie. (laughs) It's a typical O'Leary style and and very headline grabbing. But what do you think, Tom? Are are these 
airline bailouts fair? Is it is it really leveling the playing field or is it making it unfair to carriers like Ryanair? Um, I mean, I think it's a, a really tricky topic because obviously, yes, it is a bit unfair to Ryanair because they're not benefiting from what the other people are. But then at the same time, if we had no bailouts, you've really got to think of how many airlines we'd have left at this point. So many um, would go because it's just not economical to run an airline at the moment. I, I still don't know how Lufthansa is getting away with its European flights. No, it's it's a very difficult time. And, you know, I think really all praise needs to go to these governments that are stepping up and mm. funding the airlines. And it's about time. You know, maybe if, uh, if Ryanair wants a handout, it should ask for it, because as far as I know, it hasn't so far. Mm. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is, like, like I said at the beginning, these aren't just handouts, or in most of the cases, they are government-backed loans. So this money is going to have to be pay- paid back at some point. Um, and th- there are quite a few strings attached to some of the deals as well. I, I noticed in the Air France deal, um, they had the requirement to continue being a good Airbus customer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and there's, there's, they also have been told they've got to scrap short haul routes well, where then, there are alternative train services. This, so, this is a bit of a weird one because how can you be a good customer if you're also being told to scrap routes? Because you're not going to need yeah. new aircraft straight away then, are you? No, it makes me question that big A220 order, actually, because surely those were going to be used for some of these shorter regional routes, yeah. which the company is now being told that it ought to drop if there's an alternative uh, rail service available. So, um, I mean, I think it is about time that some of the shorter routes go, um, especially like Paris to Lyon. Um, there's no way that you can... I've done the maths because that's the sort of fun person I am. There is no way that you can, um, there's theoretically no way that you can get from Paris to Lyon quicker by flying than by train once you take in all the variables. Absolutely. And I think um, one of our writers, Mark, had a similar situation. He lives in Spain and he was trying to get, I think, from Alicante to Madrid. Mm. And there was, you know, no way that even though there were some very cheap flights on offer, there was no way you could validate using the the plane version Mm. over the train when they've got such a good high speed rail network. I um, I do get why the flights work out for connecting passengers. But at the end of the day, is there really enough demand from a connecting passenger? And what's stopping a connecting passenger connecting onto the train anyway? Well, exactly. So it's interesting. And I think, you know, there's 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 worries amongst other airlines that governments will want to take a stake or have more of a say in the future direction of that airline. And mm. I think maybe that's what is holding some airlines back from asking for this funding. You're looking at your favourite airline yeah. here, Tom, because they've not asked for anything and they're looking at scrapping an awful lot of jobs. Mm. Um, well, but, I, you know, I, I think, think in some ways it, they're worried about their future competitivity. I think... It's a bit of a tricky one with the whole job situation because, yes, like you could argue that um, Ryanair is looking at cutting jobs without taking any aid. But I, I don't think that the two are necessarily tied together as much as people think because obviously there's going to be less demand. And even if um, like somebody has to pay for those staff, even if they're not being used, and yeah. um, that's not going to be the government forever. So why would no. Ryanair want to pay for staff that they don't need in the future, for example? No, so quite I, right. I, no, I, I, it I will be it... unpopular with some people, but I do kind of sympathise with the airlines on this. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And uh, I do think it's a, it's an unprecedented time and that word's being used an awful lot at the moment, yes. but it really is. You know, they, this hasn't been done before. There is no user manual. So I yeah. think everyone's just trying to do their best. Mm. So um, for, for now, we'll move on, but we're going to come back to the coronavirus crisis shortly yes. um, with a slightly different angle on it. So um, anyway, tell me something about the biggest plane in the world. I really love it. So, yeah, I love writing about the A380 as well. Um, it's my favourite plane in a way. Um, there's different favourites for different reasons, but um, the A380 is one of my favourites, partly because it's the only one that I've stood in the engine of. <laughs> um but actually, last week was quite momentous because it was 15 years ago to the day on the 27th of April that the A380 first took flight. And since then, the uh, the aircraft has become an icon of the aviation industry. You can't argue that. It's not as much as the Concorde, but it's up there. Absolutely. Um, and interestingly, though, less than a quarter of A380s that we have have flown since late March. And wow. these are figures based on what I wrote last week. So there's been some amendments since then, and there could be some more amendments um, until you listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> so do take them with a pinch of salt. But um, China Southern was actually the only operator that was still operating scheduled flights with the A380, oh. with everyone else parking them and a couple of people like Tai just using it for the odd repatriation here and there. Um and it's interesting because over half of the world's fleet of A380s is parked in the United Arab Emirates um, because obviously Emirates itself has over half or around half of the A380 fleet. Of and course, then there's yeah. also um, Etihad's fleet in Abu Dhabi and there's one or two Qantas ones in Abu Dhabi as well. Oh. Um, there was an Air France one, but I think that's since flown to... Uh, Tyrell, which is my next point on this, is that <laughs> the A380s are now starting to get sent to aircraft graveyards, which is sad. Um, so far, five have been uh, to Tyrell. That's three from Lufthansa and two from um, Air France. And I'm, I'm genuinely thinking that these aircraft won't fly again. Um, yeah. Because Tarmac Aerosave has a base at Tyrell, and they've previously scrapped the first two A380s. Um, and, I mean, if you look at Air France, for example, um, they were looking to phase out the A380 anyway in the next couple of years. And they were desperate to get rid of their A380. Yeah. They, they didn't enjoy it at all. And but, I mean, uh, I think normal circumstances considered, they would have kept them for the next couple of years. But, I yeah. mean, when airlines don't even think that um, the industry is going to recover that quickly. There's no, like, why keep something maintained if you're not going to use it again? Well, precisely. And I think, you know, if you look at their overall fleet, there's mm. other long haul wide body aircraft that you'd bring back before the A380. It would be the yeah. last, really, wouldn't it? Particularly Unless for you France. wanted to really up the capacity on that domestic route to Leon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you never know. <laughs> I don't even know if it can land at Lyon, but somebody's going to comment this if I don't say full disclosure. I don't know if it can land. <laughs> Probably not, Tom, to be fair. Yeah. But uh, well, we've seen the A380 can land at a lot of airports that yeah. it shouldn't theoretically be able to land at. And um, old high flyers proven us on that one, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't think it's the end of the A380 because obviously it's a key part of Emirates' fleet and they are looking at getting A350s and A330s and 
787s, but they're not going to come for quite a few years yet. And they're still yeah. building this giant airport in um, south of Dubai that's designed specifically for A380s. Um, right. So I think it may come to the point where if you want to fly on an A380, there'll only be one airline to choose from. Mm. So one or it two. will be a sad I mean, day. But uh, I think it's quite telling that China Southern is still flying them. And don't they fly them domestically as well? Yes, They're the only airline often. that flies a domestic flight with the A380. So Unless you count the storage flights that Emirates does from Dubai to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that, a 30-mile flight? Um, <laughs> it must barely get off the ground. Yeah, interesting <laughs> one for sure. But um, actually, a fun little fact that I haven't prepared for, but... Um, Doha um, is quite interesting because obviously the air airport is split into two. Um, so Qatar Airways, to move their A380s, have been taking off from Doha and flying around and landing on an adjacent runway at the same airport, effectively. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely one to look at on flight radar. Oh, definitely. I'll watch out for those. Mm. Amazing. So we've already sort of started to touch on what aviation is going to look like post-coronavirus, you know, and I think it's important that we do keep this focus on the future and not, oh, woe is me, how terrible it is now. So, um, you know, I just wanted to sort of comment on some of the things we're already seeing and what things are likely to be looking like when uh, when the travel demand does pick back up. So um, we've seen a few airlines, obviously some airlines never stopped flying. Um, I'm looking at the American carriers here because they, they were under a, an agreement to carry on with a lot of their routes in order to get the funding they need. Other airlines are just restarting their flights or are starting to make announcements about how things will restart. So Last time we did our podcast, we talked about the social distancing issue. Um, and I don't think personally that's going to work at it's all. Not. It's, it's not. No, We've it's already seen right now. Lufthansa has already got rid of it. Yeah, um, exactly. And I mean, so it, it makes sense because on the trains, you know, um, you're standing next to people. And what, what difference does, um, like, say, 20 minutes make to two hours? You know, at the end of the day, if you're yeah. that close to someone... I think to come out of the corona crisis well-equipped, we mm. need to be looking at a way to go back to a more normal way of life where we're not two metres away from everybody else. Yeah. So what what we're seeing, um, you know, aside of the social distancing thing, is this massive rise in PPE, and not just for cabin crew, but also for the passengers. Um, so there's, there's numerous airlines now. I think most of the big American carriers are now enforcing masks on their flights. Yeah. Um, over here in Europe, Wizz Air, as well is saying that you have to bring your own mask and wear it on the flight. And Lufthansa. Um, and Lufthansa, of course, yes, yes <laughs> absolutely, Tom. And uh, and the air, the uh, airports as well. I think there was something over the weekend that Manchester, Stansted, and East Midlands airports in the UK are requiring people not just to wear masks but also to wear their own gloves. Oh wow! So, yeah. Um, Can I wear rubber gloves so from the supermarket? <laughs> I the guess you'd have to because I don't, I don't think there's any of the surgical ones left. They've all gone to the NHS. Mm. So, uh, and, and then, of course, you've got the flight crew as well. You know, there's some really, how do I put this? I don't think the way the flight crews are going to look is going to inspire people that it's okay to travel. Yeah. <laughs> because when you look at some of the PPE these guys are going to be wearing, they're full on face shields and gloves and masks and gowns and uh, you know air asia in their usual kind of air asia style have gone for a complete designer look you know yeah. all in air 
read and they're being quite fun about it. I but... don't think they're the only one. I think it was it, one of the Thai airlines, I think, joined, was before AirAsia on that, but... Right, right. But I think, you know, overall, if I got onto a plane and saw my flight attendant dressed like that, I'd be starting to wonder, should I actually be here? (laughs) It's not really inspiring confidence. But um, another interesting thing, I think, is the testing as well. We're seeing that Emirates at the moment is testing everybody before they get onto their flights. Is it everybody? I think, um, I mean, at least before it was only on select destinations, everybody on the Uh, Yeah, it was certainly select destinations and they're not going to be able to keep up that testing regime if travel demand does pick up. You know, there's no way that you can process that number of people. So um, Vienna Airport is looking to test people as they come in because this is going to be one of the big issues is if you're coming from a place that's perceived as having a high case of coronavirus, you might have to enter a 14-day quarantine. And that in itself really just obliterates the demand for travel because why would you go somewhere just to be locked in a hotel room for two weeks? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Vienna Airport's going to be testing people that have arrived from coronavirus areas in order to avoid quarantine. Um, And they're talking about issuing some sort of certificate. And if you've been tested within the last four days, then um, you don't need to be tested again. And, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of this kind of rise of testing and, and protection and, to be honest, I think we're all going to be wearing masks. It's not something I'm looking forward to, but, uh, you know, it seems to be the only way we can get back to normal life. Hmm. Well, I mean, um, that's certainly the case here. You know, you've got to wear the mask in the supermarket, on the train, at the zoo right. when it reopens this week. Oh, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you actually will have somewhere to go. That know, is exciting. And it's just down the road. But the problem is you've got, they're only allowing 250 people at once. So you've got to pre-book it. Um, Uh, So it's like you are going to the zoo at this time. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Just like flying. Same issue here with uh, B&Q. Apparently the queue was like three hours long this weekend. So uh, anyway, so aside of the rise in PPE, um, I think what we'll be looking at, or certainly the, the indication we're getting from airlines is some smaller airlines than we're used to. You know, I think we discussed last time that Lufthansa is going to be, for the first time, physically contracting as an airline. Um Norwegian, as part of their kind of bailout, they're looking at a much smaller fleet for the new Norwegian. They're looking at 40% less long-haul routes. And then, of course, you've got all the job losses. You know, Ryanair's looking at 3,000 job cuts. British Airways is talking about 12,000 and maybe not restarting operations at Gatwick. So it's uh, we're going to have some airlines that look very different to how they did before. And maybe we'll even have fewer airlines. You know, we've already seen, um, obviously, Flybe disappear, Virgin Australia entering administration, and South African Airways as well um, is not going to be the same. They're, they're basically breaking up the airline and bringing back something new and hopefully improved. Um, and, you know, I guess with fewer airlines and smaller airlines, the perception is we're all going to be doing a bit less flying. Um, maybe not me, because <laughs> I can't wait to jump on a plane again. Oh, and I'm you sure and you both. can't either, Tom. But uh, I think in general, maybe people are reassessing the way that they live their lives and trying to do more stuff remotely. Mm. So I mean, it's if going it wasn't to be interesting of, to see. Yeah, if it wasn't a case of you would like it's 
I, I wouldn't travel now because it's irresponsible, but I want to, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a little tiny part of me that's like, why don't you go to England? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And enjoy the quarantine when you get back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, because you can go to England without, at least at the moment, without quarantining, um, which some would argue is irresponsible. And I'm not saying I will do it. Um, but it's just a, it's an interesting sort of exercise in where could I travel without quarantining? You know, like yeah. France has um, said that they're going to start um, slowly reopening, but with a quarantine of 14 days for non-EU travellers. So, Okay. Oh, that could be a, a very quiet day at Disneyland, eh, Tom? Yeah, well, if they reopen it, I'm there. <laughs> That's not <laughs> irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Mm. So... Let's move away from coronavirus again, because this is a story that you can 100% say has no coronavirus in it. This is certified <laughs> coronavirus free. It should get the, the rare little certificate beast in you these days. Yeah, very rare beast. Um, so there was some uh, drama in Doha on the last day of April, um, which was quite interesting because I woke up and saw this and didn't realize actually how big a thing it would become on social media. Um but there was a really violent storm um, passed through the area. And I mean, you just look at CCTV footage of what happened and it shows that it's raining cats and dogs, um, which means very heavily for our non-British <laughs> listeners who may be wondering. Um, and the um, the rain was accompanied by some really strong winds. I mean, um, the... Um, Oh, the ATIS from the Times said gusting up to 61 knots, but Qatar Airways in a statement said the winds were going up to 70 knots. What's that in miles an hour, Tom? Oh, I do not know without looking. Um, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> very windy. <laughs> okay. Um, it would Winnie the Pooh would have found it to be a very blustery day. <laughs> I'm sure he would. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, um, one Boeing 787 really just wasn't happy with the whole situation. And like a weather vane, it angled into the wind. Um, and you can just see where this is going. It was parked next to an A380 and um, the 787 swung into the A380. And A350. The A350, sorry. Yeah, I've got A380 on the brain. Um, I don't blame you. It's a beautiful aircraft. It is. <laughs> but so is the A350. <laughs> true, true. Um, and it was interesting because from the photos of the actual uh, contact of the aircraft, you couldn't really tell what had happened. Um, however, I did see photos of the 787 after it had been pulled away and it looked like just the nose cone had been damaged. So maybe you just got to yeah. replace what's underneath there and the nose cone itself, but it shouldn't be too taxing at the end of the day. Um, but what I was worried about was whether there was any structural damage to the A350 because um, we saw the Delta 757 that landed in Ponta Delgada last year. Um, everyone was saying that that was going to be written off. And then um, it did fly again, but only after a lot of work. Um, yeah. But Qatar Airways sort of said in a statement that both aircraft sustained minor damage. So it sounds that like it's not the end it wasn't of the world. too bad. Yeah. yeah. I did see some people raising questions about whether it was adequately chopped to yeah, have been able I to Yeah, I saw this like as that. well. Um, Qatar Airways said that it was stored in sort of in, uh, approved, like in approved conditions. Um, I don't know what the exact phrasing was, but um, at the end of the day, they said as, as it, should it have was been, done by basically. the book. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
it must have been a hell of a storm because uh, yeah. I've never seen an aircraft get moved like that before. I've never seen wind like that before, rain like that before, sorry. Because <laughs> uh, when we were at the Dubai Air Show uh, last year, there was one day it was absolutely tipping it down with rain and um, nobody was really going outside and enjoying the aircraft at all. <laughs> Well, I think I'd have braved it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm British, so we're kind of used to it. We were talking about this earlier. We've got like 12 different ways to describe very heavy rain. (laughs) Some of them which aren't suitable for a podcast, but we'll leave that to to your imaginations. So while those two aircraft aren't flying, I wanted to um, close the the podcast with Another interesting flight, uh, as we've been doing recently, and this time it's Ryanair with a Boeing 737. Good. So last week, Ryanair operated its first flight to West Africa. Um, And I did check this because I was thinking Morocco is on the west of Africa, but technically according to, um, I believe, the United Nations, um, that's part of North Africa and not West Africa. Um, yeah. So they flew their first flight to West Africa, and that saw the 737-800 fly to Monrovia, which is the capital of Liberia. Wow, that's um, very exotic for Ryanair. Yeah, it is. I mean, like you, I saw that. Um, we got a tip off from one of our readers, and I looked into it, and I'm, like, wow, they really are flying to Liberia, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so I sort of spoke to Ryanair and asked what the deal was, and they told us that it was a charter repatriation for a private company, but obviously they couldn't disclose who this was for confidentiality reasons. Right. So, so it was a repatriation yeah. flight, but it's a top secret one. Yeah, so um, I guess it was like if uh, the equivalent of simple flying operating a repatriation flight, you know, for cool. um, <laughs> our people. Um but the aircraft, um, Echo India Golf Delta Kilo, departed Dublin at 7.36, and it didn't land until seven hours and 19 minutes later. Wow. That um, must be right on the edge of the range of the 737, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think it was, because um, I was going to get to that in a minute, but um, it couldn't make the journey back in one go. It had to stop um, oh. for fuel in Seville. Um, but while it was in Monrovia, um, it stayed on the ground for an hour and 20 minutes, which possibly also broke the record for the longest Ryanair turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bit longer. They like their 30-minute turnaround, don't they? Yeah. Um, so, um, but then, yeah, it did take off from Monrovia at 3.16, and then it arrived back in Dublin at 11.51 in the evening um, after its stop in Seville. So... Yeah, almost a lot of hours. <laughs> <laughs> many, many hours. And uh, I guess they must have had a maybe a second flight crew there on must board have been to avoid them having to stay crew. overnight. Yeah. yeah. be interesting to know how many people were on that plane, but I guess it's a top bit of a top secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we'll, uh, we'll leave it to our readers to speculate and maybe uh, give us a bit of a tip-off. <laughs> mm. oh, I did wonder why they didn't um, hire the Ryanair private jet you know yeah i guess they needed more seats than that but Perhaps, uh, yeah i yeah, didn't know that I'd you like could that charter a, a normal ryanair aircraft this was news to me oh are you looking at it for your birthday tom <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure the simple flying budget stretches that far but we'll keep it in mind yeah. we'll make some cuts <laughs> 
Okay, well, I think that's about it for today's podcast, and we really hope you've enjoyed it. We welcome any feedback you might have at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com, or you can find us on social media. Simply search in the search bar for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.